3: All right. Hey, everybody, it's me, and you found it again. This is Onward with Rosie O'Donnell. And I, of course, am Shaka Khan. I feel for you. I think I love you. I don't know why I do that all the time. It really amuses only me. Anyway, uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful show for you. Lena Waithe is here, and uh, she is just amazing in everything she does. Uh, we have a wonderful conversation about... Growing up and and people who resembled us on TV, kind of mask presenting tomboyish girl boys uh, or boy girls, you know. I don't know. My my daughter would claim that's non-binary. Um, they are 10 years old, and they asked me when we were in therapy last week if I would get the word they tattooed on my inner wrist so that I would always see it and always get it right. And um, I think I'm going to do that. For Dakota, I think that uh, Dakota really wants me to do it right, and I'm really trying. And it's it's tough. I was uh, at at Kathy Griffin's wonderful salon party honoring the lunch honoring Dylan Mulvaney, and it's a wonderful afternoon. She throws a great salon party, and there are rules, and Kathy's very strict about the rules. But it it all works out in the end, and. Um, had a great time. And, and two of the other women there were mothers, had children who are also they, them pronouns. And we all were talking about how over 60, how hard it is to change uh, the way that you perceive and the pronouns that you use for, for your own kid. It's not done at, listen, I I understand fully the, the need to have your pronouns be correct and, and believe me I'm trying but um, my little 10 year old is teaching me so anyway Lena and I talk about that about life about um, about just being who you are and, and how that is so uh, valuable in today's society authenticity I think is the only thing that's worth its weight in gold so Lena today right now don't go away Well, hello, Lena. How are
4: you? I'm so good, Rosie O'Donnell. I'm happy to be talking to you.
3: You know, I was really uh, so fascinated by everything I learned about you while I was preparing for this interview, right? First of all, that I'm 22 years older than you.
4: Okay, got it.
3: That's interesting to me. You know, like, I I look at you like the next generation. Like, I try to imagine who it was that you were looking to in the public sphere that you thought, Well, that's kind of like me.
4: Um, Was there anyone at that point? Well, you know, I think the reason why this is like so full circle is because I watched you every day at three o'clock in Chicago. I remember one time when you were interviewing, when Whitney finally came back after she missed the show she was supposed to do for Cinderella, I had to walk. It took me like 15 minutes to get home. Bob's Power Walked. So school that out at two forty five, I had to get home because that's the thing back you couldn't re- Tivo, you couldn't record. No such you thing. You had to like exactly watch it. So I was like power walking home to watch her on the show with you, and it was a great episode. And you had a funny bit about there being a security camera outside of her trailer to make sure <laughs> exactly. she didn't leave. And you were like, I paid the security guard a hundred bucks to make sure she needs anything. Exactly. So you know, so I was watching you, and and there's a thing about I think queer folk is that even if someone doesn't say they're queer, there's a knowing. Yes. And so... I agree. You know what I mean? Like, it's just really been amazing, I think, for me to come up and to be... I never thought I would be on television. That's the other thing. I always wanted to be a television writer. Always. From the beginning, you, you didn't want to perform. You, From the beginning, well. I wanted to write half-hour comedy. And I never dreamed about winning an Emmy for that. That wasn't the goal. I just wanted to be good. And, right. And so I think... I didn't realize. And watching you, you know, even though definitely Whoopi is a blueprint. Even though she's not queer, she's a person who the queer community definitely feels is like someone who's a queer.
3: totally. She's she's queer adjacent. If anything, she's totally in the mix of
4: LGBTQIA. You know, absolutely. She's like such a you know a wonderful ally. But you know, like I I would see uh, a Queen Latifah, you know, and set it off. Yes, and yes, I would see you know. Ellen as well on TV and Ellen reached out, you know, after seeing Master of None, which I was grateful for. It's just like there are people that I would look at and I would see. I remember Tasha on the L word, you know what I mean? It took us a while to get a black girl up there, but yes. That's why it was such a full circle moment for me to come back and be on the return of the L word and to look at Shane and like for us to have a cool scene and same with me. Yeah, that's right. I know.
3: I had the same thing with the L-word that when it was first out, I remember I was a little nervous about who's going to know and did people know? And, and, you know, you had to almost watch it in secret, you know, like. I
4: watched it in secret for sure.
3: Yeah. And to be on it then was really a full circle moment for me to go in there and go, God, how far I've come in my own self-acceptance and yes. perhaps cultural acceptance of queerness yes. in a manner that was not evident when I was a kid oh, growing up. Gosh. I mean, I didn't have any kind of gay lesbian icon marker for me, you know, being that I'm 22 years older than you. um, I I was trying to think as I was reading about you who it was. And I think the first really mask-presenting lesbian that was a superstar was KD. Oh, wow, Katie Lang. And there was also Tracy Chapman. Tracy, yes, for sure, for sure. She came on my show. I was so overwhelmed by her smile and her physical beauty that I, like, she's so shy and so freaking adorable, like, and and such an artist that I was completely flirting with her, even though I didn't, at the time, if you would have said, were you flirting with Tracy? I would have been like, no, not me. Of course not. But yes, I definitely was.
4: Yeah. I mean, obviously like Alice Walker being a, you know, obviously in the color purple. So there's definitely some touch points, but I think for me growing up and me being a product of all that, I think by the time I appeared on master of none and Aziz had met me, I was so comfortable in my own skin because I was also living in Los Angeles Yes, and I was coming into my own and, I just was very comfortable in my skin. And I remember thinking if I ever did become a public person, I would not have to come out to the public because I would be out, period. Right. And I didn't even think about the significance of that. Right. I don't know how—I want some historians who may know better than I, but I did not come out publicly. Right. Because I was just out. I was a lesbian on the show. I was a lesbian in real life. And I think that was new for people. They were like, oh, so you're just going to be gay and open about it? And I was like, yeah. Totally. And thank God. Thank
3: God all the people who came before you and encouraged you to live in your truth. You yes, know? yes. In the 22 years of difference between us, so
4: much had changed. Absolutely. and you, But you're very much a part of that for me. So that's why I think it's such a full circle moment. And I remember, I think we met for the first time at the Netflix special when we were backstage and I was there to introduce Wanda Sykes, which is also a really wonderful moment. That's right. And you were kind enough to let me hang in your green room, which was a really big moment for me. I didn't want to geek out and make it weird, but I was just like, this is insane. Like what? So like, and then also I love, you know, Mary Tyler Moore, and I'm so glad you watched the documentary. It's just, there's so many touch points. So I'm just really honored to be, talking to you, you know, it took me, took me a beat to get here.
3: Well, thank you, Lena. It's very mutual. I have to say, I look at you, I look at the work you've done. I look at the movies you're a part of. I participated in the Mary Tyler Moore one and, and I loved the finished product. I loved it. Thank you. And I was so thrilled to see that you had that much interest in Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know why. I just didn't think to myself, "Wow, Lena Waithe and Mary Tyler Moore that that's that's a match." Yeah, you like that? No, I wasn't on my bingo card. But um, how how did she influence you? How did she influence you?
4: Yeah. Um. I well, I'm very grateful that because I'm a student of television and specifically half hour television because that's what I love. Even though I write, you know, people know my drama. They know the shy um, as well. But you know, writing twenties and getting a chance to work on Master of None. Half hour is really my sweet spot. So I got to study the greats, you know? So I watched All in the Family because of my grandmother watching old TV. Totally. All in the Family, Jefferson's, uh, Good Times. I was a young kid watching those shows. But then also, I wanted to watch shows that were current to me. <laughs> so I wanted to watch A Different World, uh, Martin, Living Single, all that kind of stuff. Yes. But it was a great education to see to see my shows that are half hours that were working and I enjoyed, but then also to be educated by the Dick Van Dyke show and Mary Tyler Moore show. I also loved Maude. I'm also a big fan of Rhoda. Really love Valerie Harper. May she rest in peace.
3: Yes. We have the same exact uh loves of half hours. I was to me, the goal of life was to be in a sitcom.
4: Yeah, you were on give me a break. Then you do give me a break. That's right. So which yes. I love Nell Carter.
3: And at, at the time when When Nell was very unwell and very unhappy to be there. And it was my first thing in showbiz. So, like, I walked on so new and excited to be on the lot to do this is what I always wanted to do. And she was such in a bad place, you know. And it's interesting because I had seen her and kind of geeked out from Ain't Misbehaving. Wow. You know, I had seen her on Broadway and was blown away by her. And so it was so crushing in some ways that. You know, it was the last season, she was not in a good place in her private life, and it just, it crushed me a little bit, just at the start of my career.
4: No, I get that, and I think there's something about that story, because we do, there's something about show business, right, that draws us to it. Yeah. And that's its job, is to razzle-dazzle us. Uh And then we get in there, and it's like going, you know, backstage at the, you know, at the amusement park. You know what I mean? You go back there and you see, you know, Mickey ain't got his hat on, you know? And so it's like, oh, man, this is not what I thought. And I think that's the weird thing. But people that don't work in the business and don't see how the sausage is made, for them, it's just a beautiful entree. Yes. And for us, it's like you had no idea what it took to put that on the plate. Exactly right. And thinking about Nell Carter, as the icon that she is, it's like, you know, to me, she's you know a woman that you know probably was a. also felt like an unsung hero, and probably didn't get some opportunities that yes. she would have wanted. Didn't get to play, you know, necessarily a romantic interest. Still trying to step out of certain stereotypes that people would put, you know, women that look like her in. Yes, totally true. But I think that's really how I came to understand about the importance of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. And I will say this: initially. Because when I was watching comedy, it was very fast. You know, Will and Grace and all that kind of stuff where it's like, yeah. they're putting like five jokes in a minute. Right. And Mary Tyler show, one of its most iconic episodes, which is Chuckle's Bites the Dust. You have to wait until the end of the episode to get the biggest laugh. Yeah. And so what I was learning about from that, the writers was just about pacing, patience, character, and how you never sell a character down the river for a joke. And how to make something timeless. And so, and that was what fascinated me first. And then, of course, I'm a human, as Isaac Mizrahi would say. So, of course, I'm looking at Mary Tyler Moore and I'm just as enthralled by her. And like, who was this person? Right. And then I read her memoir, after all, when I was like, like, end of like high school. And just because I was fascinated. And her memoir really blew me away. Me too. Learning about her alcoholism. Yes. Learning about the loss she had in her life. And learning about how she could not have been more opposite from the characters she was playing when she was playing them you know and particularly mary Tal- mary richards where she was a married woman that entire time and grant tinker was you know creating this machine that was mtm you know productions that would pump out saint elsewhere and obviously all the spin-offs of, of mary Tyler Moore show as well as mary Tyler Moore's show itself and so it was just very fascinating and then until she in later in her life um when she divorced grant tinker and obviously married her amazing widower dr robert levine she kind of before, but also I love that window post Grant Tinker, pre uh, Robert Levine. She actually gets to live like Mary Richards in her 40s in New York City, being single, you know, having that experience. And so and I think that's when she blossomed the most because she kind of got a chance to be yes. that independent woman. She played so well on television. So that, that's also what the fascination is, is about I'm really into persona versus the person. And I think you know a whole lot about that.
3: I certainly do.
4: Like, you know, when you're on TV every day. There was a persona about Rosie O'Donnell. It was like, oh, this is who she is. And every time with women, it's like they want us to be their mother. They want us to be kind. They want us to smile. They want us to coddle them. So it's like, why is that expected of us as women? Mm. And then when you're a queer woman and you have maybe more masculine energy, you're not deemed to be ladylike, which means you're not likable. And there's this desire for women to be liked that men don't have to deal with. totally, And I think it's something as society we have to reckon with. And that's also at the center of the documentary uh, of being Mary Tyler Moore. So that's a very long-winded answer, but...
3: No, but it's so fascinating to me. You know, I, I used to watch it uh, all the time. And, and then when I was a stand-up, a young stand-up, it was on three times in the middle of the night. It was on after Linda Ellerby from like 1 o'clock to 3.30 or something. Wow. And so I would come home from waiting to get on stage at Catch or the Improv, and I'd come to my little apartment in Queens, and I'd write all of the question trivia questions in a notebook that I had kept since I was little when it was on once a week. And I had written all these questions like, what's the number of Mary's apartment? Miami. What's the number of Rhoda's apartment? Like, you know, really interesting, detailed facts. And when I first met her... She came on the show and and she was in her dressing room and I knocked and came in and she said, oh, I'm so happy that you're saying hello on David Letterman. They don't say hello. They just throw you out there. I'm like, not only am I going to say hello, I'm going to show you my trivia book from 1975 with 2,000 Mary Tarla Moore questions in it. Was, Was she
4: like mind blown?
3: It blew her mind. It changed the way that... We were able to relate to each other because oh, wow, oh. she really knew that I was a for real, legit fan, sort of like my thing with Streisand, you know, that oh, yeah. that she could have been so annoyed by the, you know, in some ways I could see as as an entertainer of that legendary status that here comes this new kid and all she wants to do is meet you. And then when, when she meets me, she even wrote me a letter and said, you know, when you meet me, the illusion is over. Oh, and wow. I said, uh, "Not for me, not for me." Wow. And, and it hasn't. It hasn't changed anything. And it just made like my knowledge of the truth of manifesting. Yes. Really come to the forefront yes. because I would go to sleep at night and I would think, "I wonder where she is. I wonder if she's at dinner in L.A. I wonder."
4: I do that with Whitney Houston. I do that with yes. Whitney. Yes. Yes. Did you ever get to meet her? No, I did not. I did uh, not. But I am grateful I got to see her in concert. I yes. got to see her in concert. Yes. So I'm very grateful for that. My mother made sure that happened. She came for her My Love Is Your Love tour. She started it in Chicago. Wow. For no reason at all. Although, of course, I believe the reasons because I was there. But, um, but, <laughs> but I remember, but I remember she was on Oprah. You know, everybody had to go through. You know, you got to go through the Oprah. You exactly. Got to kiss the ring. So, kiss the ring. Of course, she. Which and she had been on. She done Oprah many times, but she was there on Oprah to talk about like I'm here. I'm gonna be performing. You know, and, um, and uh, and Oprah asked her why Chicago. Why are you starting this in Chicago? And I remember, of course, I'm watching like with bated breath. Like, yeah, why? Right. She was like. It's just the first stop of the tour. She's like, there's no (laughs) significance. There's no, I love Whitney. Whitney was like, I'm not going to give you some, the tour manager said, we're starting in Chicago. And I said, "Exactly." So, so of course for me and my family, you know, it was a big deal. And they were like, oh, well, Lena has to be in the building and I'll never forget it, you know, to watch her. And it was, and it was the first stop. So she was very like happy to be out there. She was like, she was like, okay, we back at it back on the road again. So I know, that's why I think I related to you so much. And also, I love Streisand. Are you kidding? Like, I know, you know, I'm not as like, you know, Rayman, but I know I'm a, but the reason why I love Streisand is because Streisand, you know, she tapped Whitney. You know, she said like, she's, she's got something. And I remember there's footage, because I know I've seen a lot of footage of Whitney Houston of her on Entertainment Tonight. Mm. And Barbara Streisand was having something at her home or something if she was doing something and Whitney was invited and she was out there like being interviewed and Whitney was like look I'm grateful to be here and it was very much like Whitney was like Barbara has invited me and I'm grateful
3: I am thankful for that exactly <laughs> it's like
4: yeah, cuz Whitney listened to her for sure and so I think for me it's like we we're part of a sorority almost you know it's like those singers are really important but yeah that's the thing I think I had to Wrap my brain around I know you've had to wrap your brain around it too. Like, we're people that have obsessed over other people yes. in the public eye. Totally. And then now to meet people that see us in that way, it's a very interesting thing. And I think that's why I was able to do, I've done, you know, I've been a part of a documentary about Dick Gregory, i have be a part of a documentary about obviously Mary Tyler Moore a documentary about this gentleman named Ellis Haslip who had a show called Soul. He was a queer black man, and he had, and I, I got a chance to help get that on HBO Max. And so I think I'm very fascinated by people who have impact on a lot of people. Right. And, and what that means, and I think I'm a big believer in that we're all connected. And so when I would see you talking about TV shows and your, your love for this and that, I saw myself. I was like, mm. and I saw myself in more ways than one, not just in sure. our fandom, you know, and so, and I just thought, huh, what your presence on television did was in some way, because I did not want necessarily to be on TV, but it said, there's a place for me in this world. Wow,
3: it's so beautiful, Lena.
4: Yeah. And I know you, for you, it's like a job. You're going every day, the different desks, I'm right. doing that whole thing. It's like, it's just, it's, it's, people sometimes don't know the significance of just their presence. Yes. And I now have an understanding of it. And I think it's why when people meet us, I know you feel that pressure. It's like, we want them to walk away feeling good. Yes. Because we don't want them to, to feel like, oh, this person who I wondered what she was doing every night before I went to sleep, you know, made me feel. And I don't know if people out there understand w- the weight that comes with that.
3: It's a big, big burden in many ways. And, yes. you know, people say, why did you leave your show at the height of its success? Mm. Why I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the lack of humanity that happened. Like I needed to get off the airplane, get a parachute and get back down to earth, hang out with my family for a few years, not do anything, paint, absorb art that, uh, ingest art that I, that I love. And it took that long, like four or five years for me to get back
4: into just being me. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I get it. And, um, And, you know, and I ain't got to bring this up, but I remember when you came back to TV, you know, and it was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. And um, you were no longer sitting at a desk by yourself, but it was such a big thing to have you back in our living rooms again. Yeah. But I think what happened was what happened again. Mm. Humanity had disappointed you. Yes and you were like, I can't be in front of y'all smiling and, and acting like everything's okay.
3: And I can't ignore what's happening in the world because we're women, and the man who was running the show thought that women should talk about things that women don't talk about. So I would say in the middle of where it war, can we not discuss, you know, or the Bill Cosby thing? No, we can't discuss the Bill Cosby thing. We can't. There were so many landmines of yeah. what you could and couldn't say. Wow. That for me, it was a
4: non-fit, you know, but it's so interesting because who do we talk about today in terms of influences? Right. Whoopi Goldberg. Right. Who follows you? You know what I'm saying? Who had to get suspended for two weeks? It's just like, you know, and look, I've gotten my licks as well because I've understand, I had to understand that I'm an artist that does not coddle. I confront. Correct. You can't. But I'm a woman, even though I'm like, they're like, but you're a woman. Even though you're a mask, you're a lesbian, you're a woman. You're supposed to give us a happy ending. Right. Who right. Is Yes. But this is in the history of Romeo and Juliet, Bonnie and Clyde. But being born black and woman and queer, I am born to be defiant.
3: Correct. That was in our DNA. It's there. Right? When you are other in in a society and, you know, for you right away to be born into black skin and, and to have that be the world through which you our experience right. It's an it's mm-hmm. a completely yes. different thing. A- in the same way that queerness is. Yes. Not equal and you know, but, but the difference to feel other. To feel other in our society. We'll be right back with Lena after this.
2: And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Do you think that for Whitney, that the whole gay thing was part of her demise? Mm. Do you think if she had been able to say, "I'm with Robin. That's it. Leave me alone," and then get out there and sing, like you know, do you think that that played a big part in her early ending?
4: You know, it's so fascinating because I, um, I've thought about obviously, you know, thought about her and her passing a lot, and I, I, I ruminated on a ton. What I believe is that in order to be an icon, Mm. there are things you have to leave behind. True. And I think there are pieces of yourself that you don't get to have. Mm. And I think the biggest choice that she had to make is, do I be an icon or do I be myself? Right. And I don't think she could have been both at that time. At that time in society. I agree. At that time. And so I think that she, she chose, in a way, she almost sacrificed herself. Yes. For others. Yes. Because her presence in the world impacted and continues to impact so many people, regardless of her sexual orientation. Because she never said it, I don't necessarily adopt it, even though I do. I mean, I read Robin's book. I trust everything you know Robin right, said. Right, and so right. I, I just believe that she was a person that— had to be so
3: many things to so many people.
4: So many things to yes. so many people. Yeah. And I think that is what you're talking about. It's that burden. It's that weight that everybody can't it, it's hard to carry it. And I think it shows up in a lot of different ways. And I think what it was we look out, it's so interesting because I'm looking at, you know, say a little Nas X or I'm looking at right. uh you know, right. someone, you know Billy Porter. Yes, exactly. Even though Billy Porter has been around.
3: Yes, he has. We did our first Birdway show together, me and him.
4: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love Billy. I'm doing a ball with Billy.
3: <laughs> he is fantastic. Really, a unique individual and always has been.
4: Oh, my gosh. She's amazing. Actually, I, there's a picture of me, Billy. Lil Nas X, uh, Cynthia Rebo at the Grammys. Wow, um, a year ago. So there was, was a because Lil Nas X came over to say hello, and Billy was over there, and we were like, we got to capture, <laughs> got to get a picture of this, this got to get a picture yeah, of this. Uh, it's the gayest, blackest photo that ever existed. Totally um, true, and good for you. You know, but I, what I look at, and even I'm sure Lil Nas X is looking at people coming up behind him. What happens is, with time, progress is inevitable. Yes, and so. I love that. And even talking to Wanda, you know, at the special we were at, I think Wanda looks at me and is just like, what? You know, I, I get to chat with Queen Latifah and it's a really, it, I love that everybody can see that I am a beneficiary. I'm a descendant yes. of, of you all and what I'm seeing are descendants of mine. And so it's like, and then now there's like going to be kids. There's this new wave. I mean, I became well known for my coming out story, you know, we all, yes. on, on Maps from None. Right. I didn't come out to the public it was coming out. On Master of another Thanksgiving episode, which a lot of people love and tell me that I watched that with my parents and it helped me. But now as kids saying, like, why we got to come out? Exactly. Man, the kids are going to be all right. And if the kids are all right, then we're going to be okay. And I think that's what I look at is, like, we're waiting for, you know, all these folks now that are in these leadership positions or in these roles. They're, they're not going to be here in 10 years. No, no, and no. Maybe even less. Kids,
3: these kids yeah, exactly. are smart. They're up standing up for themselves. They're walking out of school as they're being killed in their classrooms. They're inspiring. Yes,
4: they're drinking less. They're, they're and also I was just talking to someone today about you know the stories I'm telling now as you know we write characters That's what you just did. You know I'm friends with Abby Jacobson. He did League of Their Own. Yes. And, like the stories we're telling now, which is also such a beautiful thing. Is like obviously we all are obsessed with League of Their Own and come on, hello. But it, and the series has its own cult following now as well. And how obviously. There's the sort of the the kids that watch the league. Yes. Oh, can we take it? Can we can we take it it and gay
3: it up for real? Like it really is. Because when we were doing the show, Lena, the the older women from the league came on. And, you know, there's like a a woman big like me, like she's Irish and she's kind of gruff. And she's like, this is my roommate, Patricia. I'm like your roommate, are you? St- are we still going by roommate? Are you in your 90s? How old are you? I'm right, but but that was the confines which were placed around them. And to think as a grown woman, you can live as a lesbian yes. free in society and be successful and have people care yeah.
4: about you and love you and
3: and not hold it against you.
4: No, I mean, I think it's important, and I think it's good for you to say, like, look, this is who I am, mm-hmm. and if you're going to be in business with me, this is a part of who I am. And it makes me think about, you know, when I was going through the casting process on, on, on Master of None with Aziz, he had an idea of who Denise was supposed to be. It's so, it's so much like the Murray Tyler Moore show. like For the people like you and I, we know that Ted Knight, yes. who would go to play Ted Baxter, that character originally was supposed to be a handsome guy. Who could potentially be a love interest for Mary? Right. But when Ted Knight walked in, they're like, "Oh, this is actually funnier. Like much better. You know, he's a clown. You know what I mean? Yes. Walter Cronkite, not very bright. And so for Denise, she was supposed to be obviously the girl of the crew that ultimately was supposed to be a love interest for Dev eventually for Aziz. And so that's where their heads were, you know. And I think, by the way, that makes so much sense. Like he's hanging out with this girl. She's his homie. They fall in love. So he meets me, and I'm open about being queer, being myself. And they decide, they're like, you know what? I'll never forget. Aziz was like, we're thinking about just having Denise be like you and be a lesbian <laughs> and like rewrite it. Right. And I was like, okay, I'm get- that's much easier for me to play. Sure. And of course, we laughed the off and had no idea of how me showing up and being myself and them embracing who I was and who I am and saying, you know what? Let's just, we'll forget that version of Denise. And make her queer and make her, you know, and go from there. And I think that's what the rest was history. So I think yeah. us being ourselves, showing up as ourselves, it's never going to be bad.
3: No. Even though it might <laughs> be scary at first, you know. Scarier, you know, 40 years ago than it was 20 years ago, yeah. than it's going to be next month, you know. And, and yeah, that's the yeah, yeah. important part. I mean, I, I love that you won the Emmy for that. I loved it seeing you, you get it on the stage i was so uh like proud again that association you know you see another queer woman in show business doing well and being successful and all you want to do is root for them
4: i appreciate that and that's why i know we we got to connect we were on live during the pandemic but i think and just to add to that because i i, got, I was very blessed to just to get the commencement speech at barnard college and it was my first ever commencement speech and you know hearing you speak about that like when i did win the emmy that's a it's a big deal. You know, it's you're on a major stage, a black woman had had, had not been nominated in that category. I'm sitting writing in a comedy series. Right. You know, Wanda had won for variety comedy, which is a different category. Um Mindy Kaling it was the only other woman of color to be nominated in that category for an episode of the office. So, and then of course, who was the, who, the, the amazing iconic phenomenal who came out is was, was Quinta Brunson, who's now right. the second black woman to ever win the Emmy in that category. So now there too, we'll, we'll, we'll keep, we'll keep running. But, um, uh, I couldn't think of a more amazing woman to share that honor with though. Quinta is phenomenal. Um, but I think, you know, for me, when that moment happens, like you said, I'm, I was sort of put on a, a pedestal, and I was a first Black and person to do something. And, and what that does is it, it, it puts me in a place where I'm breathing rare air, but I'm also finding it hard to breathe. Yes. You know, because it's just impossible. I, I, I can't, you know, I want to do well in my life. But I think what happens is when you represent a, a group of people that are othered in many different ways, as a black person, as a queer black woman, as a mass-presenting lesbian, which is its own category. Yes. You then become a representative, unwillingly, but you are, you know, become a representative for the whole group of people. And when you falter, when you stumble, when you fall, is heard and, 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 and felt in ways that isn't like everybody else. And I think that's something that I really had to grapple with and, and really learn to embrace mm. and not become bitter or frustrated or say, I'm nobody's hero, but rather remind people that I'm a human.
3: Yes, that you are a human, but you will always be the first Black woman to win that Emmy in writing. That's true. You will always be uh, a touchstone for those coming up after you. And I, I think there's honor in that. And, and Absolutely. That each, each achievement needs to live on its own. And not sort of be, you know, how does this compare to who she is as a person? And why didn't she do this? And we have a charity, and she didn't show up. And all of a sudden, you're like, 100%. within your own group, I'm getting this? You know, within my own people? <laughs> yeah. Imagine what's happening in the world.
4: Yeah, you know. And so it's like, and all you want to do is be a beacon mm. for your community. Yes. That's it. A hundred percent. But I think, I, I think what, and I'm sure you understand this and know this, is that Sometimes, you know, a beacon has to just exist and, and, and float off into sea, you yeah, know, at yeah. times and, and still provide a light. But, you know, I think that's when we start to lose ourselves. You know, yeah. I always say that I'm really blessed, you know, to I honor this gift. And, uh, and this gift has fed me really beautifully, but I don't want the gift to eat me.
3: Yes. And it can and it will. You, we've it's, seen absolutely. it.
4: We've seen it. That's do it have. to
3: so many people that you know we look up to and love and and to protect oh, yeah. your, your essence and to protect you know s- some people say to me you're you're just the same when i meet you in real life than you are when i see you right and i'm like that's my goal is to merge all of this into one
4: yes and i also think that's why you're who you are you know is i think i don't think people realize it is not easy to be yourself in front of the millions
3: world. of people, right?
4: It is not an easy thing to do. Yep, and that's why so many people create personas, you know. And I think that's why, not to bring it back to Mary Tyler Moore, but I think I was so fascinated by this person yes. that she had to, be, you know. And there's so many interviews of her, and that first interview in the documentary, which we found, which I had never seen. I, I had never seen it either. I've never seen it, and it's a fun. I would say, even if you don't care about Mary Tyler Moore if you don't care about the Mary Tyler Moore show, I ask you to just watch the opening of Mary Tyler Moore, being Mary Tyler Moore, just to see what she was dealing with at that time and the way she walked that tightrope without ever making him feel like, you know, because I think that's the thing. I think what I learned from Mary is that she knew how to be a politician Mm. without making you feel like she was a politician. Right. And I think... The thing about you is like, you're like, I'm going to beat myself. Mm. All of that. Yeah. And I think what's what I learned from you is like, it's okay if everybody don't like that. So. Yeah. It's okay. Because even sometimes i go like, I'll, I'll, I'll hear, you know, you always like, give me your opinions about things. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that one, Rosie. I don't know if we're on the same page about that. But that's but okay. There's a level there's a level of respect. Yeah. It's like, you know what? You've been living longer than me. You know more than I do. I think we have a difference of opinion, maybe because of, you know, what our experiences are, but- I, I'm not going to argue with you in front right. of people. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's no need to do that. And so I think what I learned from you is like, if you're going to have an opinion, state it and make it plain, but understand that those that disagree are going to come. And I think maybe what I may have learned, I'll be honest, Rose, that like maybe there's a part of me that's like, every opinion I have, I may not have to share. Right. Publicly. You don't have to. But I also think it's okay that people don't, don't they don't have to hear all of our other private conversations. Because as you know, there's a time in Hollywood where we didn't know what everybody thought. You know, we didn't hear everybody's opinions on everything. Sometimes you would. You know, there's great footage of Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte, may God rest their souls, having real conversations with with Baldwin and like world leaders. And it's amazing. And and also, you know, Lorraine Hansberry would be very involved, a a writer who was very politically involved and invested. So I think that's absolutely, absolutely the space for that. But I also think there's time to have conversations where we're figuring things out.
3: Without a doubt. And and you have to know when you make a stand publicly, when, yeah. when I feel called to make a stand, yeah. like I don't do it like, watch me. I go like, okay, you have to say something. You have to say something. Yeah. There are so few women with a microphone that if it You're gets right. a, you know, any play that the point of view that, that I firmly believe in. You know, like, yep. like, especially with the Trump thing, people in career-wise were oh, saying, you can't do that. You can't, you, just like when I wanted, when I did talk about Woody Allen in my first HBO special, mm. my agents were like, you can't do that. It's going to ruin your career. I'm like, I, I don't care. Wow. Do you understand? I'm not afraid of Woody Allen. I will never be afraid of Woody Allen. And I'm going to tell the truth of what I feel he is about. And if you don't believe it or listen to me, you know, she's like, but you could not get a gig. You want to hear the weirdest thing, Lena? What's that? I get on my talk show, and we get a call from his casting agent. Do I want to roll in the sweet lowdown with Sean Penn? I said, you can tell him I said fuck and no. Two words for Woody Allen. Those are my only two words for him. Fuck and no.
4: Wow. I did not know that.
3: Isn't that something? How he felt that he could get anyone who didn't approve with him by just getting them into his artistic. I I, I was like, I was so appalled by that. I thought it was such an, an unbelievable representation of the shitty part of Hollywood, you know?
4: Wow. You know, but I I think to me, like that is your brand, you know, it's, it's, I actually think it's odd if you aren't, you know what I'm saying? Like if there's something happening, and you don't yeah, say something. something's
3: going on, right? Why doesn't you know, she... Like, well, something's weird. Yeah, where's yeah, Rosie? So I
4: that, yeah, and I, and I think that comes with, again, that's your magic. That's what people want. That's what people expect. And I think that's the other thing, too, where I think you've taken a stand where it's like, look, this is who I am. You can take it or leave it. And I think that is a really, really beautiful space to be. And I think I definitely have done that. And I try to more so say, how do I put this in the work? You know, and, yeah. and how do I put, you know, different conversations in the work? Because I believe that everybody in the world thinks that they're right. Right. Everybody thinks they're right. Correct. And so, I can, you know, I don't want to spend my time trying to convince someone that maybe they aren't right because I don't know if they're right or not. Right. So what I try to do in the work, whether it be the shy, and even in Queen and Slim, the conversations that they're having is like, you know, These are two views. And I want the audience to look at both. Right. And consider them both. And to make their own decision. Because I think what I as a as a as a telling stories, telling narrative stories, I don't want people to feel like I'm telling them what to think. Correct.
3: But it's so that movie Queen and Slim is so beautiful. It's so beautifully shot. The relationship is unbelievable. Thank it, you. It was gorgeous. It was a gorgeous piece of film. And uh, I remember when I saw it, I thought, wow, look
4: at that. Good for her, man. It was, you know, it was epic, really. Thank you. I got some licks. People were definitely not always happy about the ending. I Spoiler alert. Um, which I understand, you know, and I think at the time it was tough. But it's, it's interesting because I don't know if people realize this. This was before George you know, Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Right. Um, and obviously there were still deaths that we were— uh, reeling from. But obviously, those have become world news and, and, and were really uh, catching headlines, and rightfully so, so that there could be some change and, and we could all come together. But I could not have foreseen that. Right. But we, I saw people going back and revisiting the film. And because to me, what was interesting about that time and why I wanted to tell that story was that I was seeing murals go up. Uh-huh. I was seeing names of people not because of their accomplishments or what they had done or how they lived but because they had been killed by police officers how they had been that's killed. why i was starting to know people's names certain certain black people's names and and what i wanted to do was say you know we don't let people be forgotten we wear t-shirts right we put up murals and we say their names yeah and so i think what people have seen now with time and looking back at the movie is that no one ever really dies as long as we keep their names on our tongues. Right. And also I was thinking about, I was like, are there any murals of people who are still alive?
3: Hmm. Interesting. Not really. Not really. We do it for those
4: that have gone. And so I knew how I wanted to end that film. And I think, you know, hopefully people really get my intent, which is they are not dead. They are immortal.
3: Correct. That's beautiful. It came through. I think as a piece, I I loved the ending. I thought it was profound, and I thought it was, you know, riveting, and it grabbed everyone, and and it really brought home the whole meaning of the movie. Uh, How else could it have ended? I don't know, but uh, I also want to talk. Can I talk to you about your other documentary that I just saw? about the trans sex workers. Kokomo
4: City. Yeah. Absolutely. Can. I
3: watched the whole thing, Kokomo City. I was very fascinated. I I think this is, you know, a part of our culture that people don't want to talk about or oh, look yeah. at. And thanks yes. to Pose and all of those wonderful actors on that show, the stories have become a little more part of the public consciousness. But that right. film really spoke to what it was like for those sex workers and how to form a life out of that life.
4: Thank you so much, and thank you for mentioning that. I want to give a shout out to D. Smith, who was the director of that amazing documentary. Um, it's called Kokomo City. People can rent it on wherever they rent movies. It's, it's digitally available. You can watch it in your living room. Um, it's it's a it's a really cool. Film to watch it around people, but I also think it's, it's an important movie to kind of sit and really take in and watch maybe by yourself or with a few other people that you love. Um, I, Rishi Rajani, who's my CEO of Hillman Grad Ventures, he, he saw that film because he was going to be doing a panel, hosting a panel at Sundance, which Decimus would be on. And obviously, he wanted to do his, his research and he saw the movie and he does a thing that you know you're not supposed to do, but he slipped it to me and said, Lena, I think you should watch this. Right. And tell me if you think there's anything we should do. So I, I was you know in London. I watched it on my computer and uh, was blown away and riveted. And at that moment, like you said, I think I should say something. Yeah. For me, I was like, I think we should be helpful. Yes. I think we should be a part of this. And so that's sort of how if I can use my voice at all is to speak someone else's name and to make sure people pay attention to this film. And, and, and the film now lives as a tribute in terms of talking about Uh, us and and, and black folks losing people before their time Mm. um, unjustly. And, and, and um, is, is Coco the doll who was featured in the, in the film who is now, the film is now really a tribute to her. I got to meet her at Sundance and she unfortunately did not live to see the movie come out. Mm. And that unfortunately is a part of, you know, the reality of sex work. Yeah. This reality and definitely not something we foresaw in, in, in joining this journey. But it's something that everybody needs to understand and, and to grapple with and to sit with and to make sure that there's change and to make sure that we all get to live long, happy, prosperous, soft lives, all of us.
3: Right, and that we see the humanity in each individual in our yes. world, that you know there are some people who don't seem to warrant a second look. And everyone does. Everyone has a story that will break your heart. You know, you just have to sit down and care enough to hear it, you know. Listen, I think you're
4: fantastic.
3: Lena, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you, Rosie. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
3: Well, wasn't that amazing? Thank you. That was one of my favorite pods we've ever done. Stay tuned because we have some questions for you, the loyal listener, uh, from you as well. So don't go anywhere. welcome back here we are ready to take a little message left by one of you one of you guys let's hear it
6: hi rosie my name is Brittany. i'm from pittsburgh pa and i cannot tell you how much i have been enjoying your podcast i was one of the many who grew up watching you after school and i'm eternally grateful for all of the broadway performances i got to watch from my bedroom because of you. And it has definitely spurred my love of Broadway. So thank you. So my question is about A League of Their Own. My husband and I were watching it the other day. Of course, who doesn't love that movie? But when we got to the end, he said, spoiler alert if you haven't watched the movie, he said, you know what? I think Dottie might have dropped the ball on purpose. And I said, of course she did. Did you not know that? And he said, no, I've never, you know, in the 40 something years I've been watching this movie, I never have thought that. And I have always thought that. And so now I'm wondering, is there a camp of people who think she didn't drop it on purpose? I mean, she did, right? To help her sister win and feel, you know, the joy of winning and and all that. So I just had to ask your opinion on that. Did Dottie drop the ball on purpose? Thanks so much, Rosie. I love you. Bye.
3: Oh, Brittany, that's the sweetest message. I have to tell you that when I had my heart attack and I was going in to get a stent put in, um, all of the nurses were like shaving me. They have to shave you everywhere. And and one nurse said, could you just tell me, did Dottie drop that ball on purpose? And I was like, I just had a heart attack. I don't know. No, but I believe that too. I believe Dottie did drop the ball on purpose, right? Because she was going back to her life and and her husband was home and- and she, you know, decided she made a choice. And that choice was to to leave the glory to the sister. And, you know, there's something beautiful and touching about that. But I didn't really ever ask Penny about that. But I know people have asked me about it a lot of times. So my vote is yes, that uh, she, she dropped the ball on purpose. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you for watching when you were a little girl after school. And thank you for your wonderful, wonderful question. I think we got one more today, do we?
7: Oh, Rosie, I can't believe you played that. But anyway, I'm so thrilled, too, that you got the message and you felt the love. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, it's my name is Meryl, just so you know. And, you know, of course, I didn't leave my name because I forget these things. Um, I'm getting older. duh. Um, just sorry to hear that you're not connecting with your sister. Um, I have that with my brother. And, you know, I came across a, a shirt when I was on holiday, and I said, that's my brother. And I bought it, and I sent it, and it felt really good to do that. Whether they connect or not, it was just I wanted him to know I thought of him, so just a little gesture, I think that's all you need to do, and then see where it goes, and you know it's just every some people are limited that's just the way it is, and we have to just know it's not us all the time. Don't take it on like it's your fault, yeah, everyone's a different different uh not frequencies. What am I trying to say? Just different ways of of emotional intelligence. And that's the way it is, as we know. All right. Anyway, keep going. I'm in love with your cook. She sounds wonderful. You're lucky. All right. Have a great uh, whatever. Great day. Great rest of the summer. And I'm going to keep listening. And I hope this continues because it's really enjoyable. I so while well, I listen to you. Okay, bye, Rosie, bye.
3: Meryl, you are... I don't know where the button is. Oh, I don't know where the button is. Meryl, you're adorable. I totally could see that we could be friends. Yes, I have done for many years, uh, you know, since our kind of separation uh, from each other. Um, I have sent things over the years and you know I I don't know I I think we're very different people and you know the the bigness of my life the you know insanity I think for you know someone who likes things a little bit um, more normal my life's a little crazy you know I don't know but I love her and uh, I miss her very much and it's one of the most painful things of of uh you know, for me in my life and world. It's, it's still painful all these years later. And um, But I will still try. I don't know. I do my best. But uh, thank you very much, Meryl. Thank you for your messages. And uh, I would love to meet you one day. Know that. Hey, next week, Alexander Vidman. Alexander Vidman, who wrote the amazing book, Here, Right Matters. And he was the one who testified against Donald Trump for trying to strong arm Zelensky, trying to blackmail Zelensky into getting um, information about Joe Biden. And uh, Alex Vindman was on that call and Alex Vindman testified and then had his military career, which was spotless and um, awarded taken away from him. I think he is an American hero and I had a wonderful conversation with him. So Alexander Vindman next week here on Onward.